0: Stated for the children of Israel. The temple was a place where people came together as the people of God and worshipped their God together. The importance of the temple was that it gave a visible reminder of the presence of God. It was a place that was important to God and it was important to the people. In our day, There are many who view worship as something that is optional, something that really doesn't matter that much. We squeeze it in where we can. As we enter into Haggai, we're going to see some similar attitudes for those who were called to rebuild the temple of God. You see, they saw the temple of God as less important than enhancing their personal lives. And as a result, when we come to the prophet Haggai, the temple of God's work had ceased its progress. There were multiple reasons for this. Some resistance from those in the communities around them. But then the people sort of settled in to this idea that we'll get to the temple when we get around to it. Understand That worship is important to God. The thread of people coming together to worship God runs through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's near to the heart of God. And what I want us to see as we go into this book is there needs to be a priority when it comes to worship. We need to come together as the people of God and see worshiping him together important just as it was important for the people of Haggai's day to come together and worship God at the temple it's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to gather together and to make it a priority to worship God together as well so let's look at this prophet let's see what he has to share with us Let's be challenged by the words. You know, a trap that we fall into when we look at historical texts is we look and we kind of, oh man, those people were messed up. What's wrong with them? Why were they like that? And as we point our fingers at them, we forget that although we're a couple of millennia past these people, we have the same attitudes and often the same opinions that need to be corrected. So let's listen to the words of this prophet, and let's see if he might address some of our ideas as well. The first point that we want to find is this. We need to have a perspective on what's really important when it comes to worship. When we come to the first part of the first chapter, we find Haggai introduced some of the main players, the, same cha- the, the main characters, and what we find is this. He introduces us to a leader, Zerubbabel, to a spiritual leader, Joshua, and he introduces us to a situation that had taken place there in Jerusalem to a people who had been miraculously moved to rebuild the temple of God, but a problem had set in. People became more interested in their personal enhancement than coming together and worshiping God. Their personal pleasure was really short-sighted. Look at the second verse. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, "'The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built.'" Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He asks this question, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Do you know what he's saying? As I said earlier, rebuilding the temple of God, that, that center for worship, that place for the people of God to come together and to be obedient to him through the sacrifices, where they would come together as a community and worship and confess sin and See, visible reminders of how terrible sin is. They put it off. It was on hold. Oh, they had plenty of time to build their own personal houses. As a matter of fact, they were building paneled houses. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about paneled, usually I think of like a mobile home where you walk in and there's that cheap paneling all over the wall. That's not what they're talking about. The paneled houses were houses of luxury. They were forgetting to direct their time, their energy, their imagination, their work toward the temple of God. And instead, it's directed toward these paneled houses. And so God challenges them. Look at the fifth verse. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You know, if... Haggai, were writing to our culture, he might say similar things to us. Rather than coming together for worship, do we put that on the back burner? Look at that as something that is definitely optional. I'll throw God a bone once in a while and I'll come to worship on occasion, but it's not a priority in my life. It's something that I do when and where I can squeeze it in. God, very clearly in his word, tells us in the book of Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And yet many today view coming together with other believers to worship as something that is optional and unimportant. And I would say that God would say to our culture very much the same thing, that he says... this group that had come to Jerusalem. Give careful thought to your ways. Carefully consider what you're doing. Think about what you're saying in viewing worship as unimportant. Now the result of these people taking the attitude that building their paneled houses was so much more important than rebuilding the temple of God. There's a warning that comes to these people. Bearing in mind that As a people, they had been exiled for 80 years, miraculously returned to Jerusalem to do something that nobody thought would be possible. Bearing all of that in mind, they had slipped back into the place of forgetting the things of God in short order. And so God gives this warning in the sixth verse. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a a, a purse with holes in it. Now, when we look at the sixth verse, Haggai is talking about the covenant relationship that the the, the people of God had, these pilgrims who had come to rebuild the temple. And what they were finding was this, that, that God was not blessing them. See, within the covenant that he had made with the people of Israel when they embraced the law that Moses had given them, there was the promise that he would bless them if they obeyed the things of the law and that he would curse them if they did not. And as a result of them refusing to consider God and what they had been called to, they were experiencing lack in some of the basic areas of need. But the way this is framed, I think it has application not just for those who were under that covenant with God, but application for us. Have you ever felt like I plant and I plant and I plant, but very little comes out of it? Have you ever felt that as you are there getting clothes and other things and and, and putting all of your energy into these things, the, the food, the drink, the clothing, that it maybe lasts for a moment, but little comes of it. It gets old. It gets forgotten. I think we've all felt that when we get our money, we put it in a purse with holes. It just goes so quickly. Perhaps we're focusing on the wrong things. God would have us focus on Him. Jesus promises in the New Testament that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to us. But we get it backwards. We get concerned about the things of life that society tells us are important or that we tell ourselves are important. We forget what's really important and that's our relationship with God and our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We lose perspective. So what happened? God is calling these people to change. And we find another perspective in verses 7 through 11 of Haggai that reminds us that pleasing and honoring God should be the most important priority we have. Verse 7 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Do you notice a repetition of that throughout Haggai? It's there. What he's asking us to do is not to look around us and say, hey, these other people really need to get in line. We need to look to ourselves. We need to ask ourselves... Where am I? What am I doing? I need to give careful thought to my ways. And this is what they're to consider. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains. Bring down timber. Build the house. Now look at this. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You know what the most important thing we can do as a human being is? Please God and honor him but we get sidetracked. We look at the stuff all around us, and we forget. God is calling for a complete change, not only in perspective, but in behavior. Stop building your paneled houses and build mine. That's the message. And I think there's a message in this for us. You ask the average Christian, who's the most important person in your life? And what's the Christian going to say? Jesus, God, great answers in church, usually, right? And the words come easy, but actions demonstrate truth. If I say that God is the most important thing in my life, does my life reflect that? So what Haggai is doing is giving a very practical way that these people can start to move in the right direction when it comes to God, and that is fulfilling what God had called them to do right there in Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. And practical steps, go and grab timber and bring it to my house and start building. As a culture, when they came to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, imagine the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, modern-day Iraq to modern-day Israel. By foot, They're rejoicing all of the way, celebrating. When you read the book of Ezra, it's a beautiful procession that takes place. And they come to Jerusalem, and they had heard about Jerusalem, but most of them had never even seen Jerusalem. And when they walk in, it's a pile of rubble. The temple was now just a heap of rocks. So that initial expectation where they expected much dashed their hopes. Then they had external pressure from those around them. and They were constantly ridiculing them and pressuring them to stop, and eventually they bought in. But as a people, they were being called back to what God had called them to initially. And verse 9 says this, You expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens withheld their dew, the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains of grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Their disobedience brought consequences. They expected so much, but they found so little because they had not prioritized God. Don't we find so often in our lives that we'll be challenged to turn over a new leaf? I'm going to turn, I'm going to change, I'm going to modify my behavior. And for about a minute we do it but then the distractions come in the things all around us capture our attention we might get knocked off of a schedule by circumstances that are beyond our control but we don't get back to it we don't get back at it we kind of stay where we are this is what was happening with the children of Israel and as a people, they were suffering the consequences of their decisions. We need to learn from their error and live in a different way. And that brings us to our next point. What we need to make a priority is choosing to obey God. Look at the 12th verse. Haggai is one of the few prophets that gets a response in the positive light. Because in the 12th verse, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Obedience came in when there was a change in perspective on God. Let me repeat that. Obedience, change, repentance, that came when there was a change in perspective on God. What made the difference? The people feared the Lord. They revered him. They saw that God is greater than them and all of their things, in fact, all of their things, and they themselves belong to God. So they should give to him the respect that he is due. That was the conclusion that they had come to. And so here, the word of God records a change that takes place. They didn't just say, you know, I've really felt bad about rebuilding my house and not the temple of God. And someday I'm going to make a change. The change was now they looked and they said, right now, in this moment, I will obey the Lord because I fear him. I honor him. I respect him. Look at what else happens. When we come further in the text to verses 13 through 14, we find that progress spiritually happens only when we depend on the Lord. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelah governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. Their God. Do you see what happened? It began with some responding to the message. And when they stepped out in obedience, God stirred up their spirit for more. And when God stirred up their spirit for more, it was contagious, it spread through the whole community. And others were stirred as well. Often, as believers, we take a very me oriented approach to our relationship with God. What am I getting out of my church, my worship, my relationship with God? What we don't recognize is this revival takes place in a community of believers. When some start to be stirred up in their spirit by responding to God in obedience, and their catching on fire inspires others to do the same. If we want to see things move and go in the right direction, it begins with me. It begins with us looking at ourselves and saying, am I obedient to God, am I following what God has called me to do and worshiping him and honoring him and placing him first? Am I inspiring those around me to follow the Lord as well? It's not all about me and what I get out of things. It's about the community of believers that I'm a part of and the call that God has given us to serve him. Our culture has things really backwards. We are so me-oriented that we forget us. But God is calling us to remember us as we serve God. And so that's the call that the prophet gives us today. Then come to the second chapter. As we come to chapter 2, we find that God provides for what he calls us to do. And it's the presence of God that is our strength. I love this second chapter. In verses 1 through 5, we see that the presence of God is our strength. Listen, when we sense the presence of God, when we understand that what we're doing here in the community of faith is bigger than us, it's God and his strength that sees us through then we see things begin to happen. Look at this verse in chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you to be like nothing? But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. I love this passage. You know what was going on? While... The folks who had returned had not seen the temple of God. They had heard about it. Parents and grandparents were talking about the splendor of the building that Solomon built. And so they come back and an altar has been built. Ruins of a former temple are there. Perhaps they could even see some of the greatness of the previous temple by the ruins that were left. But then they look at what they have to bring to the table, and they ask themselves, can we pull this off? It's never going to be what it once was. And you know what? They were right. But here's the thing that matters. The former temple became defiled. And while it was a glorious building... It was not a glorious temple because Ezekiel tells us the glory of God departed from that temple. Even when the temple was first built, Solomon introduced idols into the temple grounds. So the glory of God was not represented in the way that it should be by the previous temple. And so you know what God did? He took it away. He left, and then he took the temple. What we need to understand is crystal clear in this text. It's not the building. It's the presence of God that matters. As they were set upon building the temple of God, they had to look past the structure to the purpose. And the purpose of that building is honor God, glorify him not as a monument to Israel, but as a place of worship for God. And so God is calling them to remember that it's the presence of God that counts. The presence of God. And you know, I think we need to look at the same thing. Often we compare ourselves to other churches. We compare ourselves to a church of the past. And all of those are wonderful and good. But God has called Oak Lawn Bible Church to be a community of believers right here in Oak Lawn. and to long for the presence of God in our midst as we worship together. And that's the glory of this church, worshiping God together, worshiping him as our God. What we find, though, is something very encouraging as the second chapter progresses. The people could have looked at the sight and been very discouraged, very depressed. But God was telling them to turn to him. The fifth verse even says this, this is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you, do not fear. Fear could have derailed the work of the people to carry out the purpose of God. But it's the Spirit of God that makes them who they are. And then in the sixth verse, it goes on to say this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house... With glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Isn't that a great promise? God is saying, Look, don't worry about resources. When the children of Israel came to rebuild the temple, they had very little in resources. They had nothing but opposition from the outside. But God was saying to them, none of that matters. I give the increase. I own all of the silver. I own all of the gold. I will bring into this place what is needed for my work to be done. Isn't that a great promise that God makes? It's about God. Not about a plan, not about opposition, not about all of those things that just come together for perfection in seeing a glorious temple. It's God's temple, and God will see to it. Just be obedient and do what he's called you to. And man, is there a message in that for us? Don't compare what you have against others. Compare it to what God has uniquely called you to. Look at what God has brought you to and be about the work of God that he has given you to do according to his resources. And when we do that, the glory of God shines through. None of the people expected much out of this rebuilding project that they were called to. But don't you find that often our faith that is so weak so focused on things that are not of God that God goes the extra mile and does beyond what we could imagine. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is this. It's a praise that Paul just breaks out into, he can't help himself any longer when he's praising God. And he says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I love that part. Do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That is our God. And he's the same God who promised to provide for those who were called to rebuild the temple. That same God is operative in our lives to see to us doing what God calls us to do. Last part of this passage. Past mistakes needed to be corrected. When we come to verse 10 we see an illustration that Haggai gives to the priests. Bear in mind, the temple is under construction, but once the temple is done, who needs to come into the temple and minister and serve in it? The priests. And so a question is asked. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius... The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, and this is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or oil or other food, does it become consecrated? Now, here are questions about the law, and when we hear it, we just, right over our heads. So let me put it in another way. In my closet are clean clothes. But if I decide that, you know what? I have some dirty clothes. I don't want to put them in the hamper. I want to throw them in among my clean clothes. Will the clean clothes clean the dirty clothes? (laughs) Absolutely not, right? The dirty clothes only dirty the clean ones. I found that in laundry baskets as well. Doesn't work. Clean is only defiled by the dirty, not the other way around. In fact, that illustration is further brought out when in verse 13, Haggai says, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest said, it becomes defiled. And then it all comes together in the 14th verse, so Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in the sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. In other words, unless you get your, play, your, your, your life in, in a place that it needs to be of obedience to God, priests, the temple will go back to what it was before, defiled. This needs to be about God. You as priests aren't going to be made righteous by being in a place where holy things take place. You can only mess it up. You can't bring it to a place of purity. Purity and sin cannot coexist. So the call of Haggai to the priests is something that's very simple but very profound. As a people, turn away from sin, turn to God. Don't say that you're serving God and turning to God and hang on to your sin. Because the sin will corrupt the righteous things that you do. Turn to God, serve him, follow him. Look at verses 15 and following. It says, give careful thought, So that from this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. But from this day on... From this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in a barn until now? The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. What he's saying there is there have been consequences in your own life for turning away from the things of God. Don't make the same mistake twice. That's the idea. Be careful to look to God. Be careful to understand that following him is what really matters. And then when there's that change that takes place, look at the last statement of that 19th verse. From this day on, I will bless you. You know, God was longing to bless his people. God doesn't delight in disciplining his children. He delights in blessing them. As a parent, I would much rather bless my kids than chastise them because of their bad behavior, but because I love them because I don't want to see them go off or down a path that leads them to bad places. I call them to come back to the place that they need to be out of love. God loves his people. And he will do what it takes to get their attention. And we must respond by worshiping, by obedience, by turning to God. Last thoughts from Haggai. The promise of God is greater than the promise of men. Listen, the circumstances politically around Israel were about like they are today. And when you look at that sliver of Israel and you see the people who are set against the nation Israel, it's a wonder that they continue to exist. It's been that way. Forever. (laughs) Through so much of history. So, when we look at Zerubbabel and we see the circumstances that were surrounding him, wouldn't it have been easy for him to get discouraged? Wouldn't it have been easy for him to kind of give up? Look at verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time in the 24th day of the month. Tells Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers and horses, and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty. I will make you my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Now, what's a signet ring? Signet ring was a ring that had a seal on it. And while it wasn't the authority of the king, it represented the authority of the king. A leader would often be given that signet ring so that when they would use it to seal a document, it was official and it had the authority of the king. You know what God is saying to Zerubbabel? I'm giving you my signet ring. You will go forward You will lead. Don't fear those things around you. I'm with you. And Zerubbabel demonstrated that in history as a competent leader who led the children of Israel in repentance and in a deepening relationship with God. Listen, we can be like Zerubbabel as well. It's not our prowess, it's not our strength that makes us anything, it's the strength of God. Responding to him in obedience means that we will see God work in us and through us and around us, just as Zerubbabel saw. So the encouragement of this text to us today, the application is this. Make priority for God And what he calls us to. What he calls us to in the New Testament is quite simple to tell others about Jesus, to bring them into the community of believers that we're a part of, and to support the work of God in a local fellowship of believers. That's it, that's what God wants. It's simple. But yet, we get so distracted by the things around us that we can fall into the trap that Jerusalem, the children of Israel, had fallen into, recorded right here in God's word. Let's all be zerubbables. Let's all be people who choose to respond to God's message to us, to make him our priority, to depend on his presence to fulfill what he's called us to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the challenge that it is to us who are so easily distracted by the things around us. Dear God, make us people who look and give careful thought to our ways May we respond in faith and in dependence on your presence to do what you call us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.